Welcome. Thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being online. Thank you for being in the chapel as well. Um, we just thank you guys for um, attending church and, and come and listening to the Word of God uh, be spoken, be preached. We are on a 13-week series in the book of 1 John, and we're on number 7. And the topic of the series is so that you may know you believe. As we can see, that this is a rich book, a dynamic book, a book that is full of information and uh, as it is full of information, I would like 13 weeks, you know, I, I need, you know, 13 years to be able to preach this book, um, just in a sense of what is in there in, in those things. And, and the passage that we're going to work on this morning um, is one of the richest, extremely rich passage um, in the Bible, as we see that it is loaded as we work through it. But the, the whole concept, so that you may know you believe, what happens is that when you believe, something takes place. I mean, the Holy Spirit enters us. We were once dead, but now we are alive in Christ. I mean, there's things that, that take place in the spiritual realm that, that happens to us. So when we're looking at this book, we can understand what happens to a believer even as they believe, what a believer looks like, what a believer does, how a be, believer thinks, how a believer behaves, what drives a believer, what's the will of a behavior of a believer, what is the behavior of a believer in those things. So that's what we're looking at as we go through this book, as we ask the question. So number one, a believer does not love the world, but does the will of God. Just want to read our passage, and then we will work through it. First John two fifteen through 17. Do not love the world, nor anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes... And the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. This is one of the most misunderstood passages in the entire Bible. And so we're going to look at it, and as we're looking at it, there's going to be a lot of dynamics, so we're going to have to put our thinking caps on, uh, because we're going to kind of look into different words that are being spoken in this. But what I mean by misunderstood passages is a lot of people have grabbed a hold of this verse and say, well, we are not supposed to love matter. We're only supposed to love the spirit. We're not even supposed to love the material. We're only supposed to love the spirit. And it comes out in this dualism, is what they call it, um, a perspective. The world is bad, but the spirit is good. Therefore, get away from the world completely, isolate from the world, and be completely obsessed with only the spirit um, in those things. Christians should not have any social action. They should not be involved in the community. They should not be involved in the secular job. I mean, a Christian, um, what a Christian looks like is a Christian is somebody who goes into full-time ministry rather than anything else because the world is bad and the spirit is good. That's called dualism, and it's not, it's not Christianity. It's not Christianity at all. God has designed us to do what? To work in the world, to get the message to the world that we work in. So the whole drive is not a dualistic personality, that the world is bad, the same world that God created and say it is good, it is good, it is good each day, and the spirit is good. It's, it's not, it doesn't work that way. What happens is um, we can't stay away from our culture. We have to be in our culture. We can't get away from society. We have to be in our society. But we're not supposed to love the world in the process. Well, what does that mean? I mean, if that's the perspective of it, what does that mean if we're not supposed to love the world? So that's what we're going to look at. What does loving the world mean? Now, I'm just going to tell you what it, what it, um, the picture that I'm looking at, and then I'm going to get really, really technical as we're working through the passage. 
what it means when it says don't love the world, this is all I'm going to say. When it says don't love the world, you're, you're just going to say that um, when it comes to not loving the world, what you're supposed to do is you're not supposed to love the material. You're not supposed to love the obsessed be obsessed with the world. It's not supposed to be your ultimate love. It's not supposed to be your driving love. It's not supposed to be the one that sends your will, the ones that pushes your attitude, and the one that pushes your desire. That's what you're not supposed to do with the world. Now, I just want to look into this passage with one word focus. Actually, there's going to be two word focus. It's going to be the word love, and it's going to be the word lust. And I'm sorry I'm going to have to get technical here, but we're going to have to go into the Greek. Um, And the reason why we're going to have to go into the Greek is because when you look at the book of 1 John, he mentions the word love 46 times in five chapters alone. 46 times in five chapters alone. But when he mentions the word love 46 times, he is mentioning different forms of the love. What do you mean different forms of love? See, what happens is in the English language, we use the word love, and it's a general word that we use for everything. Well, the Greek language doesn't do that. The Greek language has four different words for love. So if I say, I love ice cream, it is different than saying, I love my wife, in the Greek, but not in the English. So that's where it gets really, really confusing in the book of 1 John. But yet, if you look at 1 John, the word love is mentioned so much. So I just want to go through those four different words. This is really, really technical. But again, what I'm saying is don't make the world your ultimate. That's all I'm saying. Let's get really, really technical. There's four different loves. One is eros. And what is eros? Eros is, it's a sexual love where we get the word erotic. It is a love that cries for a feeding of the appetite. It is a love that is self-satisfying, self-gratifying, self-seeking, self-pleasuring type of love. It's a love that I look at the ice cream, and when I look at the ice cream, it actually blocks out all other loves because I want it, I need it, I observe it, I gratify, I want to swallow it, and all other loves are actually thrown out of the water. And what I mean by that is that I don't care about my appearance if I look at the ice cream long enough. I don't care about what it's going to do to my heart if I look at the ice cream long enough. See, it's different than a sense of loving your wife. Why? It's a self-gratifying love. Eros is a love that wipes out all other loves. Um, Eros, if it's self-gratifying, what happens if I base my marriage on my self-satisfaction, my self-gratification, my self-seeking, my self-pleasure? What happens if I base my love on that? If I base my love on that, my wife is going to want nothing to do with me. Why? Because she's going to be used by me. She's going to be used for me. She's going to be an object for my own self-gratification. You see what's taking place is it's an aggressive, sick love that came into our sinful nature. That's the word eros. Now, there's, there's three other ones, stergo, phileo, and agape. Stergo is a love that displays devotion, often related to one's family. You know, I love my girls. I love my wife. You know, it's just, it's a, it's a softer love. Phileo is an affection based on mutual satisfaction. And then agape is one who does not seek its own, but lays his life down for the other. So there's four different kinds of love. So it gets really, really confusing in the book of 1 John, as he's mentioned love, love, love 46 times, but he's even mentioning these different kinds of love. So when you look at this word love, do not eros, agapeo is a synonym for eros, do not eros the world. Use it 
for your self-satisfaction. Use it for your self-gratification. Use it for your self-seeking. Use it for your self-pleasure. Make it your ultimate driving love in your life. And then all of a sudden, he gives us another word that is your ultimate love on steroids. And what is that word? It's underlined in our passage. It's called lust. And then again, we need to get into the Greek and talk about what lust is. Greek word is epithumeia. What is epithumeia? It is an over-desire, an over-intensity of a love. That's where we get the word epic. You know, when I go motorcycle riding, I have a guy that um, goes with me, and uh, all day he says the word, this is epic, epic. This is so epic. This is just an epic day. I don't know if he's talking about the epic power that's in the throttle, <laughs> over the desire, over the top. It just moves the epic beauty that we see as we go, or the epic day that we had in regards to its intensity. But epic comes from the word happy, which is, it is absolutely amazing, over-desire, over-intensity. EpiPen, what is an EpiPen? An EpiPen is when somebody, uh, it's an it's a item used if somebody has allergic reaction, they need to put drugs into your system that is gonna be an overreaction to open up your blood vessels. An overreaction to get your heart rate up even faster so you can overcome the relaxing of the muscles in regards to the reaction of the bee stings that happen. Epi is over the top, over the reaction, overpower. It's just, it's a complete adrenaline rush. And we also look at the word epicenter. Well, what do we get when the word epicenter? It's the, it's the center that is over the center. In other words, it is the heart of the center of the earthquake that is exploding. It is the base, the ultimate, the one. And that's where we get this word epi. So you have these two words. You have eros, and then you also have epithymia, and when you have these two words, you're saying a love that drowns out all other love when we talk about love, and then we're also saying a lust that is literally over the top. So just to sum that up, what does this mean? What it means is that you have an ultimate, and the ultimate is your world or the things in the world. You have an ultimate. The ultimate is the world or things in the world when John is saying this, do not make the world your ultimate. Do not make the things in the world your ultimate. Do not have an over-desire for the world or anything in the world and make it your God. Because when we have this over-desire for it, it's going to send us a direction. So number two, what is loving the world? Loving the world is the over-desires of the flesh, the over-desires of the eye, and the obsessive desires of of the ego. What owns your mind? When you have nothing else to think about, what do you think about? Whatever that is, all the time, is an over-desire of the flesh. Is it God or is it not? What is your will driven by? What is your attitude focused on? Where does your money go? Where is your passion what happens is your number one ultimate desire is going to drive all those things. Your number one ultimate desire is going to drive all those things. John's saying, don't love the world or anything in the world. Don't make them 
the ultimate desire. If you look at this verse, it says, do not love the world nor anything in the world. He then explains to you exactly what is in the world. For all the things in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. He explains, these are the things in the world. These are the things that are taking place. Therefore, don't make them your ultimate. Who should you make as your ultimate? You should be making God as your ultimate. And what should be number two? People, your ultimate. Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love others as yourself. Don't make the world your ultimate. So, just looking at the things, it's okay to eat to live, but it's not okay to live to eat. Because if you're living to eat, what are you doing? You're making it your ultimate. But even when it comes to food, people make food their ultimate. I mean, somebody who has an eating disorder, somebody who has an eating disorder has made food their ultimate. And they're doing it the opposite direction. The food literally consumes their mind. It's what they're driving their will, driving their emotions, driving their attitude, driving their behavior, and send them into, I would say, a ditch, destroying their life because they made food their ultimate. We're not supposed to make food our ultimate. It's loving the world. It's okay to spend to live, but not okay to live to spend. It is okay to work to live, but it's not okay to live to work. It is okay to play, but it's not okay to live to play. It is okay to have sex with inside of marriage, but it's not okay to live for sex. If you make the world or things in the world your ultimate love, according to the passage, it says the love of the Father is not in you because there is a position for your ultimate love, and that position is for God and God alone. And I want to go clear back to Genesis. Because when we go clear back to Genesis, what's going to take place is Satan's going to show up. And remember, he only shows up three times in the Bible. But when he shows up, a revelation of him is being revealed because he's trying to destroy people. And what does he try to do when he tries to destroy people? Look at Genesis 3. This is when he's faced with the woman, when he's trying to get Eve to sin. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, what is that? Lust of the flesh. Make the flesh your ultimate. And that there is delight for the eyes. What is that? Lust for the eyes. And then the desire to make one wise. What is that? The pride of life. She took it and she ate it. He took something that God said, do not take. But what was Satan's temptation? The temptation is like, God did not say, this is your king. This is your Lord. This is better than God. This is more beautiful than God. Therefore, feed the flesh, feed the eyes, feed the pride, make it your ultimate love. Because when you do your ultimate, you embrace an ultimate love, the love of the Father is not in you. Matthew 4, 3 through 10. Here, Satan shows up again. When he shows up again, he's going to try to destroy somebody. He's going to try to destroy Satan or Jesus in this passage. But when he does, let's read it. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. What's he saying? Lust of the flesh. See, Satan knows us. Satan has studied us. Satan knows that these are dependents. But if we can just make the lust of the flesh the ultimate, that's what Satan's doing. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. What is that? Pride of life. Again, the devil took him in a very high mountain and showed him the kingdom of the world and their glory. What is that? It's the lust of the eyes. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Satan wants you to have an ultimate love and he does not want it to be God. Satan wants you to have an ultimate love, and he does not want it to be 
people. And God wants you to have an ultimate love. And what does he want it to be? He wants it to be God, and he wants it to be people. Do you see the spiritual warfare that is taking place? The devastating power of loving the world. He's using the world to do it. What is the devastating power of loving the world? Number three, your ultimate love is the moment, is the ultimate love in the moment fuels your ultimate actions at the time. Very, very important to have God as your ultimate love. And the reason why is because he's going to fuel your actions at the time. He's going to fuel your actions in the whole. What do I mean by that? Let's just look at anger. What is anger? Anger is an emotional response to protect a love. It's just an emotional reaction that wants to protect a love. Do you see? Everything is driven by love, and anger is an emotional response that God has put into our system to protect a love. So just if somebody um, cusses out my wife, what's going to take place inside of me? Well, anger is going to rule inside of me. Why? Because I want to protect a love. What if somebody hit one of my children? What's going to take place inside of me? I have a built-in mechanism inside of me that's going to do what? want to protect a love. And what it's going to do is my heart rate is going to rise. And it's called anger, built inside of us for the purpose to do what? To protect a love. Election week has taken place this week. You know, what's going to happen during election week? All of us are wondering what's going to take place. And what if the person that we choose, you want, doesn't make it? All of a sudden, anger could build up. Why is anger ever going to build up? Because there's a lot of things at stake. A lot of things that you love are at stake. So it's a natural, it's not sin. What happens is it comes up to protect a love. I love when the traffic flows. I was born and raised in Gold Beach, Oregon. I had two lights, two street lights. I could barely stand to sit at a street light. Now I go to Portland. And if I ever go to Portland, I actually try to stay away from Portland. A street light on every single block and I love when traffic flows, and I really don't like when my wife is in the car. And the reason why is because she reminds me about my patience and my anger. I'm trying to protect the love, so when traffic doesn't flow, all of a sudden anger starts to come up to protect the love. I want it to flow. It doesn't flow. You see, that's, it's a built-in mechanism inside of me to protect a love. You ever been in an argument with your spouse? Men, it's at the core of us to want respect. And if it's at the core of us to want respect, and you've been in an argument, do you ever wonder why the argument gets more intense as you continue to argue? Because through the process, you desire respect. You love respect. And in the process of the argument, your respect is going down and down and down by maybe what your wife says, maybe by what your wife does, maybe by the way your wife treats you, and your anger is starting to intensify and intensify and intensify. All you're trying to do is protect yourself, protect respect because you have a love for it. Ladies, they like to be taken care of. They like security. They like to be nurtured. They like to be loved. So when an argument has taken place there, they're not receiving it. So as they're not receiving it, what's going to take place inside of them is they're going to try to protect it. So their heart rate is going to get up. It's built inside mechanism. See, everything is driving us with love. Love, I, um, I love peace and quiet. If we love Peace and quiet, and we don't get peace and quiet, what's going to take place? We're going to react with anger. See, that, that word love carries us more than we can possibly understand. Hate is an emotional response to avenge a love. Does anybody in here, don't raise your hands, don't like your neighbor, <laughs> are frustrated with your neighbor, or angry at your neighbor? Ask the question, why? Because if you really ask yourself the question, why, what are you doing? You're protecting a love. And I will say it might not even be a right love. 
There might be a love that you think is appropriate. I love peace and what? My neighbor does not give it to me. Therefore, what, hap- what happens? Well, hate starts to build up inside. I love privacy and my neighbor's window is right next to mine. And I, I want to protect that. So again, hate comes up. I love being talked to kindly and my neighbor doesn't talk to me kindly. So hate starts to build up. But see, there's always a love that is connected with it. I love my entire piece of the property and the neighbor took his fence and cut a third of my property off and took it and put it on his land. Therefore, I hate my neighbor. What you're doing is you're protecting a love. Everything is driven specifically by a love. Depression is an emotional response that mourns a love. If somebody is depressed, the only way to get out of it is to find a higher love than the, the object or the person that is bringing it down or the situation that is bringing it down. There has to be an ultimate love that has to be inside of you, the only way to get out of depression. But it's all based specifically on, on love. Fear is an emotional response to possibly losing a love. Why does the Bible say consistently, fear God? Because you won't lose him. Because you won't lose him. Because he's rock solid. But when we get afraid, we all of a sudden say, I'm going to lose a love, and then fear is the emotional response of losing a love. You see how love is driving us. A lie is nothing more than protecting a love. Protect your image, protect your reputation, protect your wealth. Greed is nothing more than feeding the love. More money, more stuff, more power, more prestige. Gossip is the act of nursing the love, just in the sense of when I say something bad about you, I'm doing nothing else but trying to boost my ego. Because if you're really bad, then I'm really good. And if I say it, I remind myself of that. So when I gossip, I'm, I'm trying to build up and nurture my own love that I have for myself. You see, what, I, what we're saying is here is that your ultimate love drives you. Your ultimate love sends you. Your ultimate love controls you. John says, do not love the world or anything in the world. Because if you love the world or anything in the world and they are your ultimate, it will reflect every part of your life. And the love of the Father is not in you. The ultimate love must be God. And the ultimate love must be people. And that is what John is communicating there. Number four, your ultimate love determines your future destiny as well. Just to go through this quickly. If your ultimate love is money, you will never have enough. See, now we're starting to understand what the Bible is about because the Bible is completely and entirely about love. When you look at most religions, what takes place is these religions are about works. It's about behavior because you're trying to get a good enough life to get to heaven. But the Bible is specifically about love, so you have to ask your question, what do I love? If it is your money, then Proverbs explains this to you that you'll never have enough. If your ultimate love is yourself, you'll never have a relationship. Again, we go back to Eros. Eros is a self-gratifying, a self-desiring, self-feeding love that will wipe my relationship out with my wife. And if you wipe the relationship out with my wife, it's going to wipe the relationship out with my other people as well. Same thing. Your ultimate love for fame, will be, you'll be disappointed. If your ultimate love is respect, you'll be angry, mad, and bitter because in this world we're not going to have respect. If your ultimate love is health, beauty, you will be obsessed. And why will you be obsessed? 
Well, I remember when I was obsessed about getting a beard. In other words, I cannot wait until I could grow a full beard. And what was I? 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. It's like, when is this beard going to come? Is the beard ever going to come? And I was obsessed with it. 24 years old, 25, all of a sudden the beard started coming. After I got the beard, everything went downhill from there. I started not in shape anymore. I started to put on weight, and all of a sudden, I start like moving to a grave. <laughs> See, if, you're, if your ultimate obsession is health and beauty, good luck because you're dying. <laughs> you're walking to a grave. You will never be satisfied if that is your ultimate love. If your ultimate love is work, you usually bo- lose both your family and your work because you don't really like your job anymore if you're going through a divorce. You don't even care about your money anymore that comes in if you're going through the divorce. See, the ultimate love has to be God, has to be people, and if it's going to be something else that's in the world or of the world, it's going to destroy you as a person. If your ultimate love is God, by him, all blessings flow from now into eternity. So how do we not love the world? How do we not love the world? Now, I got these backwards. I just want you to know um, in your notes, but I just want to read, it would be number six, but it's, um, I'm going to use it as number five. Make God your ultimate love and people your second. Completely transforming your life. What takes place is God says, you need to write a list. And when you write a list, put me on the top and live as if I am on the top. Why? Because when you're anger, it will be righteous anger. Greed will not be there when we see what God has given us and asked us to lay down our life for others. You see what takes place is God being on the top is going to control us, it's going to rule us, it's going to send us, and we'll be more towards his will than even ours. God on the top, and then what? Second, people next. If you love God and you love people, which is in Matthew, it's in all the Gospels, love God and love people, what's going to take place? Well, you love the two things that are eternal on this earth, God and people. And then what's next? Well, you have the world as well, that Satan is trying to paint a picture of the world so we'll fall down and worship it and ignore God and ignore people, and as a result, the love of the Father will not be in us, I would even say naturally. It would not even be in us naturally. Make a list. God's your ultimate and people your second. Number five, prioritize your love by writing it down and then locating your love by your actions. If you are completely driven by a love and you write down a list and say, this is my list in order of the loves that I want, you can make an assessment on what you love the most. You can make an assessment on what you love the most. Because every time you get angry, you can actually find out what you're trying to protect. Maybe you lost a whole bunch of money. And as you're getting angry, what's going to take place? You can see that that would be your greatest love. Maybe it is your job that has taken place. This is a job that is supposed to be good, a job that's supposed to be wonderful, a job that's supposed to be healthy. But then I come home and then I yell at my wife, well, she's supposed to be the second love, God, and then your wife. But you see what's doing is you can actually identify those loves to see if we are loving the world or, or anything in the world. It literally controls us. If you hate, find out what you uh, want to avenge. If you have fear, find out what you are concerned about losing. 
Find the love that is driving you. Find the love that owns you. Find the love is sending you. And then be very, very honest with yourself. Is it God? And is it people? Or is it something else? This is what John is communicating when he said, do not love the world or anything in the world. Because if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Instead to do what? Do the will of God, which the will of God is written. Love God and love others. Put them at the top of your list. God, I just pray that you empower us to love you beyond anything in this world. I pray, God, that you would be the focus, the drive, the passion that all of us have, God, above all else. And God, I pray that we'll love others second, that you would, that uh, I'm loving you, God, as we're going to look in a couple weeks, is, is literally loving others. And I just pray, God, that we'll love people second. And then, God, those things that the world has a grip on us, I just pray, God, that we will not love them, that we will not be ruled by money, that we will not be ruled by anything else, even if it's good, God, not be ruled by anything else of this world except you. We love you in Christ's name. Amen.